0: Our reading this morning is in John's Gospel chapter 6, starting at verse 16. And you can find this on page 1070 of the Church Bibles. John 16, verse 6, 6, uh, Sorry, John 6, verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
1: It's great to be with you again this, this morning. I'd just quickly like to say that um, having been away for a couple of weeks, which included a holiday, a number of people greeted me this week, is that, oh, Tim, it's nice to see you. We wondered whether you retired. And, you know, I had been on a holiday just for a couple of weeks, you know, so uh, it's okay, I think. Uh, so it's great to be with you again, to be back and to, to share together. Um, and as we come into God's Word, actually, which is a, quite a challenging passage for us, um, let's pray. Sovereign God, we ask afresh this morning that you would open our eyes to see you more clearly. To see who you really, truly are. Father, would you let the scales start to fall from our eyes so we would get a clearer picture of who you are. And God, in your sovereignty, I I pray particularly this morning that you would come in your extraordinary love and your extraordinary compassion to meet us where we are. To, To receive you where we are. Thank you that you're sovereign over our lives, but also this, your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's... Um, quite interesting, when you've been away on holiday, you come back with a slightly different perspective on things, you come back, you know, a number of people said to me, you look a bit browner, Uh, it is not dirt, it is genuinely a suntan of some kind of form, Um, and actually you realise having done that, it's a number of things, one of which is that, as we've already shared through different people have said things this morning, that actually all of us go through different seasons in our life, seasons which are really challenging, Seasons that can actually take us to our knees. And also seasons that are really just great joy, joyous times, of celebration of thanks. Everything seems to go well and everything flourishes. But I wonder how you navigate that this morning. How do you navigate the highs and lows of life in a very real way? I wonder whether you're good at doing that or actually you find that really difficult. One of the things, uh, I'm not going to ask you how to do it, but I'll maybe think about this, is that sometimes in lots of different management kind of meetings I ended up with in terms of management development, they'd ask you to do various exercises, but one of which was essentially a version of how do you see the world? Are you someone who sees the world half full or half empty? Is the cup half full or cup half empty? Do you see problems everywhere in your marriage? in your family, in your work, in the world? Or do you see the opportunities that are in front of you? Do you see what might be there where things are positive or at work? Do you maybe even see, can I say, as part of today's discussion and what we look at, do you see God at work in our world? And has that changed the way you think about your life and what it is? One of the things about reflecting when you're on a holiday, there's a number of things, you don't need to go very far as part of being a vicar or anybody, actually, to realise that if you're looking to see that the world is in chaos, that chaos is a reality in the world, then you don't need to go far, whether you're politically, whatever your political allegiances are, whether you're a great, I'll just say this this morning, knowing that I'm not going to have many of you in this category, if you're a great Donald Trump fan, you know, actually, you may think that's amazing, uh, but most people would say that's a bit more challenging. If you'd asked me 10 years ago to say that two of the most influential politicians in this country would be Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn, I would have said you're bonkers. I'd have frankly said that you're bonkers. What about in our relationships? You don't need to go very far to realize that there's actually real challenges in our relationships. Not just talking about the state of marriage, I'm just talking about relationships generally. Generally actually you don't need to far to realize the pain and suffering and some of the behaviors mean that broken people are everywhere. And it doesn't take long to get to a point when you have a conversation with someone to realize that some of the things they're carrying as part of that are really significant. Even if you're someone this morning who sits and thinks, you know, I've got everything sorted, actually one of the great... Um, challenges we face in Western culture today, we've bought so much into the Enlightenment, and all the Enlightenment says that we can't deal with ill health. We really struggle to be able to understand how to deal with ill health when it comes to us in a way that's healthy and the the way that's good. But actually, as I sit here in front of you this morning, if I took a straw poll, there's probably half people here who are in constant connection with different health services, different parts, different severity, different challenges. How do we navigate all that and still say God is sovereign? I don't know whether you've noticed, um, um, whether you've been in churches for a long time or you've been around the Christian world very long, it's that Christians use this word Lord a lot. I don't know whether you know it, but we say, well, I've spoken to the Lord, I speak to the Lord, I know the Lord, Jesus is Lord. And actually what we're going to look at today is this, through this passage, is what it means to say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So firstly, if you've got your Bibles in front of you, I want you to look at this, uh, particularly the first paragraph of this passage. We're going to look at it fairly closely. Uh, I'm going to go through it. But look at verse 19. When they'd rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. One of the things you need to realise when you're reading this particular account of Jesus walking on the water is that it's not simply Jesus walking on the water; he's actually walking through a storm. The ancients at the time when Jesus was on this earth understood that the sea in general and storms in particular represented chaos in one of the kind of most realisable ways they understood. The chaos of the sea, of the storm, was a way of understanding and representing that life has, is unexpected. Life has chaotic parts to it. Not all things are within our control. Not all the things are within our power to make happen. There are forces beyond our control in the world. And for the ancients, the sea was one of the great representations of this. Because when the sea blows up, the waves and the storm can easily overwhelm you. And when they start to overwhelm you, you're sunk. Sea travel, as those who know a little bit about it, is much, much more fragile than walking on land it's why the phrases that are uh, common in our language uh, are there like we talk about the darkness on the face of the deep when this something is coming to overcome you you don't feel it in the sea until the last minute you can't see it necessarily but it comes to you so the ancients at the time that jesus uh, was around understood this and what this represents and particularly this story this account represents Is the fact that life is includes and is full of storms they're real and they're terrifying there are forces that are real and terrifying that come in as part of our life and they can easily sweep us up and sweep us away otherwise you will sink so what we have here in this account of Jesus is this Jesus is is not just walking on the water he's walking the storm, Notice he's not flogging himself or slogging through the storm. He's walking through the storm. He's walking through the storm in his absolute power and his absolute authority against all the forces of destruction that the people understood at that time. All the forces of death, all the forces of devastation, all the forces of darkness that this storm represents. Jesus is walking through it. This is really, really, really important to understand and to see in this passage. What we have here is Jesus is saying, Jesus uh, Jesus Christ is Lord means he has absolute power. It means he is completely sovereign over everything, just not over certain things or particular things. He's sovereign over all, over everything. It means that there's nothing in this world that he can't handle. This means that there's nothing that he's not able to have power over or control. Now, let me just, before we move on, apply this maybe in a couple of ways to us this morning. There could be lots of reasons why you're sitting here this morning. You may be here because you love coming here. You may come here because you're not quite sure. You may come here, you know, full of faith, whatever it is. But I wonder whether you're here thinking, do I want to make Jesus the center of my whole life? Am I interested in Jesus being Lord of my life? You see, when things are going well in life, when things you aren't in the storm, you think, you know, I've got it under control. I am in control. Things are good. And when you see things, things like it's all under control, all things are good, what can tend to happen, because sometimes our hearts aren't great, we tend to look at other people whose lives are falling apart. And even if we don't say it, we privately say, well, do you know what? They're either not educated enough, they're not gifted enough, they're not wise enough, they're not strong-willed enough, and we sit in judgment of each other. You may not say that. Clearly, I'm not saying your hearts are worse than mine, but that's our temptation. Our temptation is we sit in judgment on each other when people get themselves into a mess or into difficulty. The Bible says, and you look at the whole narrative of the Bible, you see the whole narrative of God's people throughout the whole Scripture. And they also understood this in ancient culture, not just through the Bible, is that even when things are pretty successful, all of a sudden, a storm can come in your life that you weren't expecting, that you didn't want, that was out of your control, and all of a a sudden, That storm can come to your achievements, to your success, to your money, to your relationships, to whatever else it is that's part of your life. And you can get swept away by the forces that come against you. What you thought you had control of your life, you realize that there are forces in this world that means that that could be swept away. There is a reality to the darkness and the face of the deep if you think what this passage is helping us to understand and to see again is this. If you think in your own power and your own strength you can get across that lake without Jesus in your boat, then here's the warning that this passage gives us this morning. There may be a rude awakening coming. If you're sat here this morning thinking, actually I've got everything in control. I don't need God. Circumstances have a way of bringing us back to decide who is it It's in our boat, and how we're going about it. That may be one group of people. On the other hand, you may be sat here this morning, quietly knowing this. My life is a complete storm at the minute. I am that person in that storm. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I really feel that my life is out of control. I don't know which way to go, what to do, or how to deal with the circumstances that are coming about. it. I'm all at sea. Things aren't working out. Things aren't coming together. Things aren't where they should be. Actually, I am in a storm. And this is a text, this is a particular passage, that says it doesn't matter how high the waves are that you're facing. It doesn't matter how strong the wind is. Jesus Christ is greater than the storm that's coming against you. In the middle of your life, Jesus gets you through everything and through anything. He's sovereign. He's Lord. And I know it's one of those verses, and Muriel quoted it as well. He's able to work through the circumstances of our life, if we'll let him, even when things look dark. Jesus has that kind of power. Secondly, um, let's take a closer look here at verse 20. If you look at verse 20, and it says this. It says in verse 20, But he said to them, it is I. And what Jesus says in this little bit in uh, verse 20 is actually just as amazing as what he does. What he says is as amazing as what he does. What he actually says literally is, I am. If you get, take the original Greek, what he actually says is, ego eimi, I am. Why would Jesus in the middle of this storm, walking through this storm, say, I am? Those of you who know a little bit of theology and particularly know a little bit about John's Gospel and some of the history through Scripture would know them. When Jesus Christ says, I am, he's saying, he's giving, and he's using the divine name. He's saying, I am. This is what God said to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3.14. We sort of see it throughout John's Gospel. Those of you who know John's Gospel quite well know that so the I am saying this is Jesus saying, I am God, I am, I carry the divine name. So when Jesus says, I am, first of all, he's saying, I was, has no meaning to me, because I have no beginning. Jesus is saying, I have no beginning. I will be, has no meaning for me, because I will never change. When Jesus says, I am, He's also saying, I'm perfect. I will not change. I am God. I am just because I am. I don't just exist to do something or achieve something. But actually, everything exists through me, because of me. Therefore, when Jesus says, I am, he's making an enormous claim. Jesus is making this extraordinary claim that many in our world find really difficult to believe, or to credit, or even to understand. And actually, it's a real barrier for many people. Because what he's saying is, I'm a personal God. I'm not just a vague creative force. I'm not just a vague creative power. He's saying, I am the transcendent God. I created the world. I existed before the world. I'm the one who's sustaining everything. I'm the one who holds everything together. So why can Jesus walk through a storm like this? Why isn't he doing, those of you who know the Bible quite well know, when we've looked at it previously, why doesn't he just give a word, like we've seen in other accounts, where he just calms the storm? Here's the reason why, in this instance, it's different to the other ones. Jesus isn't just... A source of great power. He's not just the greatest source of power. He is the source of all power. The source of all power in the universe. I am the ultimate Lord, Jesus is saying. Accepting me means that you actually rearrange your whole life around me rather than me accommodating you. You are the preeminent authority in my life. Now for us, uh, particularly at this time in our generation, in 2018 or whatever it is, this is quite challenging for the average person. Because what we want to say is, I don't know whether you chat to your friends or anybody comes to ask you and says, you know, what do you think? And they ask you, do you have questions about Jesus? Because actually the people I tend to talk about um, who don't come to church, I wouldn't say they're people of faith, will we'll go as far as say, well, Jesus, yeah, Jesus is a good guy. Taught taught some good things. I mean, have you heard the Sermon on the Mount? There's some great things in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Jesus is good. You know, there's a good bit of Jesus. We love his teaching. And actually, if we look at Jesus, we love his deeds of love and mercy. Jesus, that's great. We like that bit of Jesus. But if you ask the average person in Bath, they'll say, Oh, I like that bit of Jesus. I like that bit of teaching. But Jesus is God. Step too far. Jesus is God, the unique son of God, step too far. And actually what Moses us to realize is if Jesus is God, it changes everything. If Jesus is God, if Jesus is the claim and we look at the claims that Jesus made about himself, then actually we can't afford for him to be on the periphery of our life. Actually, everything in our life changes and centers in and around him. Though I'm afraid there isn't a halfway house in that. C.S. Lewis, but also many other ancients, who said when you're looking at Jesus, you really do have to come up with a view that either Jesus is mad, he's bad, or he's God. His, His claims for who he is are that significant. That actually we need to come to one of those conclusions. What Jesus says in here is, I'm God. I suppose you could come... Some of you may be saying, well, let's finish there. That's the end. I just want to add a few other things too, though. Because I know that storms come up in life. Things begin to happen in life. They're having my own life. And you begin to feel helpless, powerless to face it. You feel out of your depth to deal with the circumstances coming your way. And you don't feel equipped to deal with the challenges that you're facing. And what happens then? Same as me. When you face those kind of circumstances... Fear starts to take root in your life. Look carefully at what happens in these verses here. It says in verse 19, they throwed they three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking in the water, and when they saw Jesus walking, and they were terrified. Bear in mind, if you know the scripture well, they weren't terrified before Jesus tipped up. They were terrified when Jesus turned up. They were terrified when Jesus turned up. Why is that the case? Mark 6 and Matthew 14 have the same story. And there was danger. But bear in mind what you're talking about. These are fishermen. Many of these people are fishermen. They've spent their life on the, on the sea. They're used to storms. This Sea of Galilee is notorious for storms that quickly rise up and come and, and assail boats. But it's not until Jesus shows up that they're terrified. Why is that? Why? Because they realize that they're in the presence of somebody holy. other. When Moses met God in the burning bush, God says the same word. He says, I am. And Moses hits the deck. Because the holiness of God became real to him. Now, just as the holiness that was revealed to Moses in the fury of fire, here we see the holiness of God revealed to these disciples, and they were terrified. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but God's holiness means that he is holy other. He's above and beyond. So when you come near to that kind of holiness, that kind of beauty, that kind of perfection, our impurity, our lostness, our selfishness, our pride, our inadequacy comes into view. We realize the futility of our own control of our own lives when we come into the presence of the holiness of God. And we need to realize at this point, to realize that it is by grace and grace alone that we can live with God. And when you get near to the holy God, you get near to God, the sovereign God. The storm that... Most of us who know and would recognize there is raging in our hearts of guilt, of shame, of inadequacy, of despair, of bad choices, bad habits, and our own shortcomings are exposed. And we become terrified. But how do we get through it? How do we get through that place? And here's the answer. Jesus is not just sovereign Lord. Jesus is not just the ultimate Lord. Jesus is not just the Holy Lord. He's also our Savior. Look and see what Jesus says. It is I, in other words, I am, we've talked about, do not be afraid. What he actually says in the Greek are four words. He says, I am, no fear. I am, no fear. I am, no fear. This is amazing. Jesus Christ is saying, my holiness, instead of being a threat to you, instead of which you feel bowed down and feel terrified, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's possible to, to experience the white heat of God's utter purity, utter holiness, and find assurance, strength, and comfort rather than the pain of failing, and guilt, and shame. Jesus says to them, do not be afraid. How could that be? How could that be? How could Jesus say that to them? There was one storm, those of you who know your scripture will know that Jesus didn't walk through. when Jesus was on the cross, when he endured the one storm in which the waves overcame him, when he was sad, when he was killed on that cross, when he was genuinely killed on that cross. When he took the eternal storm of justice, eternal justice, the punishment for all sin for all time, when he conquered evil forever. When Jesus was overcome, or for our sake, all of that. When Jesus went under that storm, he did it for you and for me. For those who had put our trust in him, to put our faith in him, so that we could know that he walked with us through every storm we go through. In other words, Jesus isn't just a holy God, but he's our saviour. That's what we understand as we understand the good news of Jesus. And if you're thinking this morning, how do I understand that? Here's an example of why this matters. Jonathan Edwards was one of the great, uh, the great awakening has written lots of different books. But this is one of the ways he put it. as, As a way of telling the difference between someone who's understood the gospel, understood who Jesus was, and somebody who hasn't. Somebody knows the difference between a Christian, between a Pharisee, or somebody's who's religious and a striving person. He puts it like this. He says, everybody likes the power of God. Because the power of God is a benefit to you and I. I mean, you know, when I'm weak, I need power. God is good. Everybody wants the mercy of God. All of us here can stand here and say, well, I know I've made mistakes. I know I've got things wrong. So God's mercy is a good thing for us. We know that and we want that. We also know that we need God's wisdom. You know, I'm confused. Which way should I go? What should I do? God's wisdom is good news for us. But the holiness of God, I don't need that. Because the holiness of God immediately makes me feel inadequate. makes me face up to my failures, to my stupidity, my bad choices, my bad habits. And I feel guilty and condemned. What Edward says is the way you know that you understand the gospel is the holiness of God becomes a comfort to you. The holiness of God becomes a strength to you. Why do you understand this morning that Jesus isn't just an example for you to follow? Jesus is an example. We say, you know, I need to live like Jesus. But Jesus went through under the storm for each one of us. Do you understand that when Jesus went to the cross, he paid the price for all your sins so he can be your saviour and your Lord for all of your lives. That means our sins have been paid for once and for all. Set free from shame, set free from fear, set free from guilt, set free from the failures that hold us and bind us and keep us. What does John say in the other letter in 1 1 John 1, 9, sorry? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The way that you know you've finally understood what it is, is when God showing us home, turns up. And actually you invite God into the boat. You invite Jesus into the boat. You don't say, Depart from me. God is so pure, I am so unworthy. You say, I want Jesus in my boat. His holiness changes everything in my life. This morning, if you're in a real storm, if there's a real storm going on in your life, you look and say, well, how do I know God hasn't abandoned me this morning? How is it that God hasn't abandoned me when I'm going through all these dark things, these difficult things? My goodness, look. What you say is this. If Jesus refused to abandon me, when he went through the storm with which that led him to death, that actually really did kill him. If he went under that kind of storm and didn't resist, didn't relent, continued to be obedient to his father, through the ways that overcame him, then he's not going to do that with me for the things that are challenging me and abandon me now. This morning, if you're not sure you're a Christian, if you'd like to know to become a Christian... And you've not actually sort of made that prayer or made that commitment or said that to God. First, you need to realize that it's just no hope in meeting God's standards. God's standards are so high, so pure, so right. It's not possible for us humanly to get there. But we're able to do that. We're able to get there by inviting Jesus into the boat. And that's what the disciples did to get to the other side of the lake realize that by inviting jesus into the boat of your life that you need a savior that he is a savior and he's our sovereign lord look carefully what happens right at the end of that little bit what happened is when jesus got into the boat it says and instantly they were at the shore see to become a christian means jesus gets in the boat and helps you it doesn't just help you to live a letter life he changes it for eternity you're safe and secure because he's in the boat with you. Do not be afraid, said Jesus. Don't be afraid of letting him in this morning. And I'll take you to the shore to experience a beauty that you've never encountered before. Let's pray.